Welcome to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. David, it's great to be with us again today. I appreciate you joining me this morning for uh, recovery of a torrential downpour and the flooding of my garden last night. Um, uh, you know, you told me that you didn't hardly get any rain by you. No, uh, we we, uh, we don't live that far apart. No, um, not really. Uh, but we uh, it it must have gone from south to north and. Uh, didn't didn't come over to the poor section of town. Well, it uh, it, uh, it got. Uh, I needed an arc this morning. I put in my on my personal Facebook page the arc that I needed to get out to water my greenhouse this morning. Uh, but the garden's growing. Looks like uh, next weekend I should be able to pick some radishes. Wow! I'm excited. Uh, in about two weeks, should be getting some lettuce out of the garden. I'm very excited about that. And in about three weeks, I should be getting some snow peas. So, uh, and um, I actually have. Uh, uh, flowers on my tomato plants in my greenhouse. Wow, that's you're up to date. I'm up to date. I'm getting there, and there are actually strawberries on my strawberry plants. So I'm actually kind of excited about that. I can imagine. I'm kind of excited about that. Last night, David, I had an opportunity to speak at Oglethorpe University uh, on the issue of uh, immigration. As shocking to no one. Uh, as part of their uh, coffee on campus uh, uh, discussion group, it was a delightful conversation with uh, with some very interesting questions from from the studio audience. Uh, we had, the, I think, the president of the university was there to speak with us, and uh, uh, it was really a lot of fun uh, to to get the impression of uh, current college students and and their take on immigration. What was remarkable is I had uh, four current Oglethorpe students come to me who are on DACA. And they're attending Oglethorpe University uh, 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 because it's cheaper to go there, a private school, than it is to go to University of Georgia or Georgia State paying out-of-state tuition. It was, uh, it was life. One young woman was telling me her story, uh, and uh, she just started crying right in the middle of it. Uh, she was very emotionally uh, charged uh, by what's happening and, and the fear that her family feels and the fear even she feels even as a kid on DACA, of, of what uh, what could happen going forward. Uh, some of that comes out of what uh, what happened on Monday. Uh, I think it was Monday. Maybe it was on Friday, but I think it was Monday. Uh, maybe I'm just mistaking the days running together for me. Uh, but uh, your, uh, your best friend, Jeff Sessions, um, uh, decided to rescue the White House uh, from, uh, from itself uh, and its uh, meanderings on... Um, uh, on uh, Russia Gate and uh, and uh, dro- eavesdropping and wiretapping and who knows what Mr. Nunes is doing as part of his uh, job as the uh, uh, as the House uh, Chair of the Intelligence Committee uh, to come in and to threaten quote sanctuary cities uh, and uh, to say that um, he was going to uh, come forward and uh, and start taking money away from sanctuary cities. So Jeff Sessions yesterday said that the Justice Department would require cities seeking some of the $4.1 billion available in grant money. Now, that's grant money generally uh, for cops on the street program type of stuff uh, to verify they are in compliance with a section of federal law that allows information sharing with federal officials. Uh, Sessions says he was simply clarifying a similar policy adopted by the Obama administration last year. He said, quote, I urge the nation's states and cities to carefully consider the harm they are doing to their citizens by refusing to enforce our immigration laws. 
I did not know that the Congress of the United States had deputized the states and cities to enforce federal immigration laws. I'm kind of curious about that. Um, New York, of course, basically said, <laughs> this is a, we're going to become this administration's worst nightmare. It may already be this, this, the administration's worst nightmare. Uh, it might not need anything else. But it, uh, as Jeff Sessions came out and talked about this, uh, I thought it was fascinating, uh, the reaction. Uh, basically, everybody ignored him. Basically, everybody ignored him. Uh, as he talks about um, uh, uh, wanting to singling cities and states out with punitive threats, likely unconstitutional. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting uh, to see what happens. Uh, David, you are familiar with the Tenth Amendment, right? You have your copy right there? I have my copy. It's a, it right was here. here. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm sure you could recite the Tenth Amendment from heart. Right. But uh, would, you, would you be able to locate the Tenth Amendment there uh, for us? And I, I'm bringing this up right. because uh, it's it's open Power to the page. Power is not delegated, right, to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, or reserved to the states respectively, on or to the people. So, so it, it is. Um, it basically says if if we don't say the Congress can do it here or the feds can do it here then the states can do it. And if we don't limit it to the feds, then the states can do it, right? Uh, here's an interesting idea. Uh, one of uh, the uh, mayors who are responding uh, to, uh, to Mr. Uh, Sessions said, quote, legal experts say the Constitution's Tenth Amendment forbids the feds from commandeering state and local governments to enforce federal mandates. Now, what do you think about that take on the Tenth Amendment? I mean, I know you're familiar with the Tenth Amendment. I mean, we just read it. And, just and, read yeah, it. you just read it. And uh, it seems pretty clear on its face what it says. But you and I both know the Supreme Court has basically ignored the Tenth Amendment for 230 years. Um, although they have gotten back to it a little bit more uh, now that they stepped away from the expansion of the Commerce Clause. Uh, so do you think the Tenth Amendment forbids the feds from commandeering state and local governments to enforce federal mandates? No. You don't think it does? No. Yeah. I, I, think, fact, that's, I think that's a very generous reading of the Tenth Amendment personally. I, uh, my opinion is that uh, uh, if you giveth, you can taketh away. Right. Uh, and so if the feds don't want to give you money, they can yeah. put conditions on giving you money. Yeah. You know, they can't say, uh, you don't get your money and then get to do whatever you want with it. If the feds want to give you money for law enforcement, they can put conditions on it. I mean, it, this harkens back, of course, to the federal speed limit. Remember, mm -hmm. if, oh, you yeah. did, if you did, if your state, because the feds couldn't change the speed limit. That's a state issue, right? So, if, But if you didn't put a 55-mile-hour speed limit in, you wouldn't get federal highway funds. It's the same principle, right? I mean, there's no different. I don't see how the Tenth Amendment – I mean, it's nice to throw the words legal experts and the Tenth Amendment around, uh, kind of funny coming from Democrats, but it's uh, – I don't think it, it comes into play here. But isn't, isn't that what attorneys do, argue over – Well, some some attorneys, not, all, not all attorneys. Uh, well, that's what we're paid to do, right, to argue over words and meaning and things like that. Uh, but it's funny because – the way they talk, the way Sessions talks about it, uh, 
uh, is he targets, this is what he says, targets cities and towns where local law enforcement agencies take steps such as refusing to honor detainment orders from ICE unless the orders include a warrant or court order that establishes probable cause. Now, what every article that I've read fails to take into account and fails to mention is why would cities do this? Why would cities go out on a limb, risk getting cut off from federal dollars, uh, and refuse to recognize administrative requests to hold people? Why would they do that? For their health, because they like immigrants, because uh, they want to let you know accused criminals go back into society. There must be something else, right? There, there's got to be uh, some other reason uh, why uh, these cities uh, are not uh, allowing uh, uh, the uh, the feds to tell them to continue to hold people after they have either served their time in custody uh, or whether or, or after they have um, uh, uh, paid their bond uh, as, as it were and, and David there actually is a actual an actual real legal reason why this is happening uh, now I will tell you on Friday that ice changed their policy we're going to get into their policy on detainers and they made it much easier for themselves to issue detainers. Uh, but here's why. In uh, a case called uh, Galarza versus Skalzik, this is the Third Circuit. The Third Circuit is uh, Pennsylvania, Ohio, I think Indiana, and perhaps West Virginia, although I'm not positive, said that Lehigh County, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, does not have to enforce the detainer because it's voluntary. The court found the county could be found responsible for unlawfully holding an individual for ICE because it was not required to comply with the detainer, but detainer, but chose to do so. In the First Circuit, which includes the 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 uh, the Northeast, and I'm talking about Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut. And Rhode Island, I think Rhode Island's included that. It said the First Circuit in a case called Morales versus Chadbourne said that detaining someone beyond their reasonable release date is an arrest under the Fourteenth Amendment, and that the Fourth Amendment and the Fourteenth Amendment, not the Fourteenth, the Fourth Amendment requires ICE to have probable cause to issue such a detainer request. Now, in uh, in a case in Oregon, which is a, a district court case in Clackamas County. You know where Clackamas County is, right? Oh, sure. Clackamas County. Uh, the court in Miranda Olivares held that Mrs. That Ms. Miranda Olivares uh, holding her on a detainer after she could have been released from jail and transferred to ICE, the federal court held that she had to be unlawfully detained and the county would have to pay her money for unlawfully holding her. And it does not matter what immigration status she had. Being held on detainer violated her Fourth Amendment right against unlawful arrest and detention. So these are, uh, this is an update as of a few months ago, uh, and including one that just came out in October of last year from the Northern District of Illinois, which includes Chicago, uh, uh, which said, 
the court found that ICE has limited authority to arrest without warrant, and detainers on individuals in local custody generally exceed this authority. ICE needs to get a warrant to seek the arrest of an individual already in local custody or make an individualized finding of risk of escape prior to to the detainer. Um, Now, this is interesting. This, This is why cities and counties are saying, whoa, 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 Mr. Iceman, uh, you want me to hold uh, Maria, who we who we put in jail for driving out a license because you want to investigate her, her situation? Now, I think I'd rather not pay her money uh, after she pays her bond. Now, get this, though, David. I mean, here, here's the, the kicker here. ICE puts the detainer on somebody when they're in custody. So ICE could show up literally while she's in custody and wait for either her to pay her bond or for her time to run and then pick her up as she walks out the door. They're free to do that. I think the objection here from a lot of cities and counties is, look, one, we risk being sued and we would have to pay them damages for this. Two, you federal government are not reimbursing us. You're not paying us to hold people for an additional two days. So not only are we putting ourselves and our county at financial risk because we're going to have to pay them maybe if they sue, but we're definitely paying to hold them. And, I mean, I don't know what every county charges, but let's say the numbers I saw a few years ago were $72 a day. Let's say ICE picks up 100 people a month from our jail. And we hold them for two days apiece. So now we've got 200 nights in jail at 72 bucks apiece. That's $14,000 that we're not, who's going to pay that? The, the taxpayers of the state, of the city? So you've got two reasons why counties don't want to comply with this. And it's going to be interesting to see if Jeff Sessions does sue them, how they're going to get around the issue of these, uh, at least two circuit courts and a couple of district courts ruling that these detainers are on their face, unconstitutional under the 14th Amendment. We'll be back in a second on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano, o tiene problemas con inmigración, o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. David, I just doing a bit of research offline here. Uh, as the follow-up, there's another new case that came out of 
Texas, your old stomping grounds, uh, out of Dallas, where multiple plaintiffs sued for being denied bail because of ICE detainers and being detained after when they should have been released. And the Northern District of Texas held that Dallas could be held liable for unlawful detention because even if ICE detainers claim to be based on probable cause of deportability, that is not probable cause of a crime because being deportable is not a criminal offense. The court found that ICE has limited authority to arrest without a warrant and the detainers on individuals in local custody generally exceed that authority. ICE needs to get a warrant to seek the arrest of an individual already in local custody or make an individual determined risk. So uh, that came out of Jimenez Moreno versus Napolitano in the Northern District of Texas. And is again in Minnesota, uh, an immigrant was prevented from posting bond because of an ICE detainer and sued for unlawful detention. And District of Montana held that ICE detainers issued without a finding of likelihood of, of escape before a warrant can be obtained violate the Fourth Amendment because they exceed ICE's statutory authority. Uh, this is uh, really kind of a remarkable kickback. And I think what's going to happen, David, this is the, if Jeff Sessions is looking for a fight on this, uh, I think he has found people willing to fight. I think he has found people uh, willing to challenge the administration. We have a very interesting situation, David, where uh, the Trump executive orders on the bans, the, the Muslim bans, uh, uh, energized a group of, uh, and, a, and, a, and a cadre of, uh, of federal immigration lawyers uh, who were not afraid to sue the administration. Um, and I think they got a taste of the, the thrill of victory. Not necessarily the agony of defeat, but the thrill of victory, the, the thrill that comes from stopping something that you view as bad and having the success in doing that. And I think he's energized an entire group of people to make that happen. But, David, I want to kind of go over the new ICE detention policy. Uh, ICE, uh, uh, so that, again, to our audience who doesn't know about this or just learning about it, ICE places detainers, which, which they call detainers, on individuals who have been arrested on local criminal charges, criminal charges, okay, that they include in that traffic offenses in Georgia, for example, criminal charges, and for whom ISIS possesses probable cause to believe they are removable from the United States. Now, in removal proceedings is not a criminal offense. So technically speaking, you'd have to get a federal warrant to overcome ISIS limited warrant arrest capabilities. And ICE does this so they can take custody when the person is arrested. Um, and ICE says this, when law enforcement agencies fail to honor immigration detainers and release serious criminal offenders, it undermines ICE's ability to protect public safety and carry out its mission. That's from their website. But ICE gives the impression there, David, that they're only putting detainers on serious criminal offenders. When in fact, they put a detainer on everybody. Doesn't matter. You came across the border illegally 30 years ago, you got picked up for driving out a license, you're getting a detainer. So ICE, on its website, is facially telling a lie. They're lying. Yeah, yeah. I know it shocks you, right? I know it shocks you. but Something interesting. You know the uh, two boys, Guatemalans, I think, 
that raped the 14-year-old? Allegedly. Allegedly. Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, allegedly. Um, but ICE in, or whoever in checking them out found that the father came over here illegally, and now they've arrested him as well. Yeah, I mean, what, 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 you have to go back. That's, that's, that's an entirely separate issue, which I want to get into after this, because I think it's an important issue to get into. But that's not this problem. Yeah. That's not this problem. This problem is ICE deciding that everybody's going to be put into detention and that detainers are going to be put on everybody. So basically on Friday, an effective April 2nd, so next Sunday, Sunday the 2nd? Yeah. That's kind of a weird day to make something effective, okay? Uh, a new form was created uh, by ICE, and uh, this form eliminates the existing detainer form and replaces it with a new form to more effectively communicate with recipient law enforcement agencies. Now, let's look at the policy memo. This is a not a regulation. It's not a regulation. So it hasn't gone through the rulemaking process, which I think probably violates the APA. So the first thing that's going to happen here is somebody's going to file a lawsuit and stop this because you just can't make rules up and not go through the Administrative Procedures Act. That's just not how it works. Uh, so here's the, here's the issue here. Uh, interim policy 1, 174.1. Um, and it says this. Um, this directive establishes ICE policy and procedure regarding the issuance of civil immigration detainers. Civil immigration detainers. When you're holding somebody in jail for a civil violation, it's a heightened review under the Fourth Amendment. The Fourth Amendment takes a very dim view of holding people in jail under the fourth with a civil issue, okay, um, and uh, ICE issues the detainers to federal, state, local, and tribal law enforcement agencies to provide notice of its intent to assume custody of a removable alien detained in their custody. Uh, the, the authorities codified from the Immigration Nationality Act two eighty seven. And arises from the, power, the authority of the agency under Section 103, provide regulations to carry out its authority, blah, 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 blah. Quote, detainers enable ICE to judiciously deploy its investigative, detention, and removal resources consistent with the immigration enforcement priorities of the executive branch. Detainers also allow ICE immigration officers to avoid the risk to public safety and officer safety associated with arrests outside the custodial environment. To state that a different way, it's just easier for us. If let somebody else do the work and we can come and pick it up. This is this to ICE is low hanging fruit. This is easier to pick people up. So quote here's the policy. Policy number one. It's ICE's policy to ensure that ICE immigration officers exercise detainer authority in a manner consistent with all legal requirements and in a manner that ensures that LEA partners, law enforcement partners, honor the detainers. So what they've done here uh, is said this. One, only ICE immigration officers, including designated officers of state or local divisions under 287G, may issue immigration detainers. So uh, any ICE officer and anybody trained by ICE working in a county like Gwinnett or Cobb can issue an ICE detainer. Okay, one. Re regardless, and regardless of how much training they had, apparently they can do this. Next. Regardless of whether an agency cooperates with a detainer, ICE officers shall issue a detainer to the agency 
for a foreign national in that agency's custody if the if the foreign national is arrested for a criminal offense and the officer has probable cause to believe that the subject is a foreign national who is removable from the United States. All right, so what they're saying basically is if you arrest them on a criminal issue, even a traffic violation, in those states that have traffic violations as crimes like we do in Georgia, then we are going to issue a detainer if we think, if we think, believe they are deportable. And they use the magic word probable cause, but let's see how they, how they look at this. So the next section says this. ICE officers must establish probable cause to believe that the subject is an alien who is removed, which is a foreign national who's not a U.S. citizen, uh, who is removed from the United States before issuing the detainer with a federal law enforcement agency. Further, as a matter of policies, all detainers issued by ICE must be accompanied by, one, a warrant for arrest, which is an administrative warrant, which they just type up on their computer, um, uh, and a properly completed form, uh, which is a, uh, a warrant for deportation. These are, again, just made-up forms they just throw in there to make it sound like they're doing something important when they're just pushing a button and spitting it out. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Um, Except for circumstances in which the foreign national is detained by ICE in ICE custody at the time of the detainer issue, which makes no sense, an ICE immigration officer shall not issue a detainer to an agency unless the agency has arrested the foreign national for a criminal offense in the exercise of that agency's authority. ICE officers shall not issue a detainer for an alien who's temporarily detained or stopped. So let's say they stop someone on the side of the road. You can't call ICE and say, hey, issue a detainer for this guy. Except if ICE shows up and then picks them up there under their own authority. Um, now, this is... Uh, uh, Could they carry a fill-in-the-blank? This is literally... The, it's a computer. It's, 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 it's almost an app at this point where they put the person's name in and just print it out. You carry a printer in your car, you can print it out on the spot. Uh, these are very simple things to do. They're all they're on PDFs now. You just, you just email them to the agency. Um, so they create this policy. Um, and here and here's here's some other interesting stuff that comes out of this. As a matter of law, ICE cannot assert its civil immigration enforcement authority to arrest and or detain a U.S. citizen. Yet they kept our client in jail for a month. You know, when they had probable cause to believe she wasn't a U.S. she was a U.S. citizen. Uh, now here they define that, that that's their policy. Okay, it's uh, and, oh, and one last thing, uh, two last things. One, ICE must promptly assume custody of an alien who is a subject of a detainer. Further, ICE should not assume should assume custody of an alien subject as soon as practicable and as soon as as close as possible to the time in which the alien has been released from the custody but in no circumstances more than 48 hours after such time. If it becomes apparent that ICE cannot assume custody within 48 hours, ICE officers should immediately cancel the detainer. Now, that's something they've never done before. I like that policy. They're not going to follow it, but I like that policy. Um, as a matter of, and then this, in some cases after issuing a detainer for an individual, ICE may determine that it will not assume custody of the person. ICE must, must cancel the detainer as soon as it determines that this case. Now, here's some definitions I think are funny. All right. Who is an ICE officer? An ICE officer is 
anybody who works for enforcement and removal operations, anybody who works for Homeland Security Investigations, HSI special agents, uh, who are responsible for making uh, and supervising authorized immigration officers, as well as designated officers of the state. But here's the final thing before we go to break. What does probable cause mean? The facts and circumstances within the officer's knowledge and of which they have reasonably trustworthy information that are sufficient in themselves to warrant a person of reasonable caution in the belief that an individual is a removable alien. That's interesting. Let's talk about that when we come back on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net. This is Skip Coriel host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love in an ever-changing and volatile world. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verifying your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's time to be back here on the Immigration on America's Web Radio. David, are we still the most listened to podcast in the known universe on immigration? Podcast on immigration. On immigration. I uh, think. That, that, that you're I aware of. I haven't checked with any aliens. Uh, but, yeah. it might, but it might be. Uh, I, just so Space you know, aliens. we were picked as one of the top uh, 60 uh, law blogs, uh, law podcasts. By, by the way. Yeah, you said uh, there was the top seven or something. Top seven and, and one, one the and top 60 of all of all podcasts. That was just the immigration uh, 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 stuff. But, yeah, so I'm going to get you some tags to put on there. And we're grateful to those that listen to us and to spread the word about the podcast. And keep in mind, we had a great show last week, of course, with uh, with David Beer of Cato. Mm-hmm. That was delightful. We need to get Alex Narashte. He's now that he's a star debating Tucker Carlson. We uh, <laughs> probably get harder to book him on our show. But, uh, you know, we get to have fun guests. If you think you could be a good guest on the show, they should call us, right, David? They should let sure. us know, email us, and we'd love to have them on. You may have something important to say. Um, I mean, I, I certainly don't have that much important to say, and you listen to me, so we probably want to listen to you and get more information on it. Dave, we're going to be doing some uh, video podcasts as well going forward, aren't we? That's the plan. So we, we should have those up on YouTube and uh, as well as on America's Web Radio. Just, just for you, I contacted a cosmetologist, and uh, she doesn't feel like she has a big enough box to bring it's in. It's going to be tough. Just, just the powder to keep my head from shining yeah, will be yeah, it's, you know, it's, kind of tough. Whenever I go on CNN and they break out the, the makeup, I go, huh. Yeah, you probably don't have enough dust in that thing to shop to sh- get this shiner on. <laughs> and, and the other other thing is, uh, and I don't know how we're going to overcome this. You're going to be have to be here about two hours in advance. Yeah, that's going to be tough because yeah, uh, otherwise I'd be in the garden that morning yeah. gardening away. Uh, that's going to be tough. But we'll do our best. <laughs> Thank you, David. I appreciate that. Uh, we were talking about probable cause right before the break. So, how do you establish probable cause? 
David, do you know how a police officer establishes probable cause? Do you have any idea how that works? No. In, in fact, I was going to ask you with, with what you were just talking mm-hmm. about prior to going to break, and I'm not putting down any ISIS officer or police officer in general, but in your experience of dealing with officers, particularly, I guess, when you go to trial or something mm-hmm. and have, have one testify or whatever, how in the world can any one person remember all of the junk that you just said a minute ago? I mean, I mean, you'd have to be driving down the road, flipping through a book to find out, well, did this person do that or did they do that? Or Well, I, 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 think, I think it's actually a bit easier than that. Uh, people are creatures of habit. And people tend to make the same stupid mistakes over and over again as 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 a group, and so you don't need to know every every rule or every law, but you can you know. And, and keep in mind, this is what law enforcement agents do. Officers, this is what they do. LEOs are they're experts in their field, just like I know all about immigration law. They know all about what what they really focus on. It could be traffic issues. It could be law enforcement issues. Uh, there's a lot of laws in the books that aren't that don't that go unenforced because officers don't know about them. Uh, but what, that's why you have lawyers. So an officer can arrest you for one thing, but once that gets to in front of a, a lawyer, the, the prosecutor, they can then charge you whatever they want to charge you with that the facts lend themselves to. So uh, you only need probable cause for the arrest, not for the actual charges. Did you just say, okay, they arrest me for this, Yeah. but as I'm sitting there, they can add charges Oh, absolutely. To it? They can add all kinds of charges to it. You didn't know that? No, I didn't. Prosecutors tend to overcharge. You ever heard about overcharging? And that that then proceeds to uh, create the plea bargaining system. Well, yes, you did X, but really I could charge you with Y, Z, and double A, and then you're going to go to jail for 60 years unless you plead to X. Well, I'll plead to X. I don't want to jail for 60 years. That's called overcharge. It happens all the time. So the, it's the law enforcement authority guys to make sure they're obeying the law, they have probable cause, so they arrest somebody for an actual crime, but then they get in front of a prosecutor and they can they can up the ante any way they want to, whether through an indictment or whether through just adding additional charges. Perfectly legal thing to do. I don't, I gives you the heebie-jeebies a little person that I that's not aware of that. No, well, it gives you the heebie-jeebies a little bit, doesn't it? it oh yeah, I mean you could be brought in for your turn signal light not being right. And you could be charged lots of other things. And be charged with a library. Absolutely, depending on what what they get you to admit to. So we talked about what probable cause is. uh, Quote, the facts and circumstances within the officer's knowledge and of which they have reasonably trustworthy information that are sufficient in themselves to warrant a person of reasonable caution in the belief that individual is a removable alien. That sounds like a definition out of a case book, doesn't it, out of a case? So here is how do you establish probable cause. This is how the Department of Homeland Security, ICE, believes you can establish probable cause. As a matter of policy, a detainer must be supported by probable cause based upon one of the following four categories of information. A final order removal against an alien. Now, David, they gather that information from a database, as they have, uh, which has the final sort of removal, which they access with the fingerprint. So just so people understand, how is ICE getting this information? When somebody is detained anywhere in America, Obama put into place a system where that information is, is swift over to the FBI, the fingerprints run through the FBI automatically, and also run automatically through a Homeland Security database, which includes ICE. And an alert pops up on the screen, presumably of an ICE officer somewhere in a local vicinity, 
who goes, hey, this guy has got picked up, um, and he matches, I'm sure these are all done electronically, it matches somebody in the database. And then they, then it becomes their responsibility to look at the database, like, okay, this, is this really this person? Do these fingerprints really match? Is this really this person? Do these photos match? So if you have a final order of removal, you are going to have a detainer placed upon you. Okay. Two, the pendency of ongoing removal proceedings against, against the foreign national including cases in which Diaz has, has issued a charging document and served the charging document on, on the foreign national. So what, th- what this means here is um, if, if you are already in deportation proceedings and you are picked up for a criminal charge, then ICE will put a detainer on you and either elect to detain you when you're done with that or to let you go. Because ICE, I mean, ICE doesn't mean this is actually gonna, they're actually going to arrest you. They're going to come pick you up and determine where they're going to arrest you. Now, under Trump, they've been detaining virtually everybody except for, you know, moms of young children. Everybody else has literally been being detained unless their jails fill up that particular week. Three, biometric confirmation of the alien's identity and records match in federal databases that affirmatively indicate by themselves or in addition to other reliable information that the alien either lacks lawful immigration standing or status or notwithstanding such status is removable under U.S. immigration law. All right, so if, let's say, 20 years ago you got caught coming across the border, they took your fingerprints and they sent you back. It wasn't a deportation, but you're in the system. All right, that shows, hey, at least at some point you were undocumented. Now, if you're arrested and you're a permanent resident, your, your fingerprints are in the system, they have to determine at that point whether they're going to put a detainer on you if you're a permanent resident. Now, the last thing, David, is what I think should get a lot of people's attention, and it's this. Wow, already, David? Wow. Um, statements made voluntarily by the alien to an ICE immigration officer and or other reliable evidence that indicate that the foreign national either lacks immigration status or notwithstanding such status is removal from the U.S. This, David, is huge. And what this means is this. You are detained by an officer, and the officer, uh, the officer asks you, so where's your, you, have any, you have any driver's license? You say, no, I don't have a driver's license. Well, why don't you have a driver's license? And you say to the officer, well, you know, I'm undocumented. Now, that's going to go in a police report. So when you are then taken to the station with an ice hold, the officer is going to look at the police report and says, it looks like you told the officer you were undocumented. Yeah, I'm undocumented. I don't have any papers. You have now just given ICE the basis for the detainer. If you had simply exercised your right to remain silent, there would be no way to detain you. Okay. You keep referring back to, or, or have, um, that... If somebody comes over here uh, saying 2002 or something like that, so 15 years ago. 20 in the aughts. In the aughts. Is there no statute of limitations no. as far as immigration? There's no statute of limitations in immigration. Great question. There is no statute of limitations. So I came over here 100 years ago. I and you're undocumented, you're going to put into deportation proceedings, Period. You know, you came in the 60s, and you've never fixed anything. I mean, I literally have people walk in my office that came in the 60s. They're, you know, 65 years old, and they can't figure out why they can't get Social Security. They talk like you and me. They look like you and me. Turns out they're completely undocumented. They had no idea. Happens more often than you think. Uh, but this, this, this last statement here, this is stunning. 
So statements made voluntarily by the foreign national to an ICE officer and or other reliable evidence. So the police report. So this is vital, essential. Anybody who's a lawyer listening to this or not a lawyer, if you are stopped by the police for activity that you're accused of doing, you should never, ever, ever mention your immigration status nor admit to anything about that other than saying, I'm going to exercise my right to remain silent. Okay, with, with no statute of limitation, what about the IE witness? Does it have to be that they record the conversation and say, no. I, I'm not documented? No, no. Or does it have to be in front of you and me or two people? No, it can be just the officer. Just the statement to the officer is good enough. Immigration has a very but, low yeah, threshold. Yeah, doesn't that, doesn't, for an attorney, doesn't that become a uh, contest? Of well, you know what's got, and actually this is a great point because this is what's going to happen. Um, David, if um, looking at the federal, uh, the state court criminal system, if every defense lawyer and every defendant decided from now on, I'm going to trial, what happens to the system? Just it just implodes, right? Just implodes because the system is dependent on pleas. Immigration system is no different. You walk in the immigration court and there's a charging document, and 99 percent of the lawyers go in there and say, "Yeah, I, I admit the allegations and concede removability." Okay, you just deported your client, and now you're depending on you winning relief for your client. What we've done in our office is uh, we go in and we say. I deny the allegations, and I do not concede removability. On what basis? On the basis that I'm not my burden of proof. That's the government's burden of proof. Now, if my client has made a statement to a, to an ICE officer, I lose. Okay, but if my client has wisely said nothing, the judge has got to dismiss the case and let him go. Him no choice. The power of this is is absolutely brilliant when you look at it in the context of the detainer. Now, most detainers are issued for people that a lot of detainers are issued for people that have uh, 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 deportation orders or deportation proceedings. But if you don't have anything and you're not admitting to anything, and you don't admit even what you know where you're born, you don't have to tell an officer, officer anything other than your name and your address. You have to say nothing else. If you're not carrying documents with you. If you don't say where you're from, you just give my name and my address, that can't be used to deport you. It can't be. So as we go around to the community and we let them know, here's what your civil rights are in the United States. <coughs> I'm sorry, here's what your constitutional rights are in the United States. Here's what you're allowed to do. You have a right to a lawyer. Oh, oh wait, wait, wait. Yeah? If you're an undocumented, illegal alien mm-hmm. or whatever... Do they have constitutional rights? David, why don't you look up the words in the beginning of the amendments there? What's the word they use? It's a key people. word. Persons. Persons. But I thought it wasn't Persons. a point of discussion. No. Uh, Individual. hasn't it been? That, absolutely. Uh, no point of discussion at all uh, in regards to the individual rights in the, t- in, in the Bill of Rights. They, pr- they apply to persons. Uh, and they apply to persons at the state level because of the 14th Amendment. So persons. So you have a person, you have a right to counsel in criminal proceedings, not in immigration proceedings, but in counsel proceedings. Uh, you have a right to remain silent. Uh, you have a right to a hearing, a speedy trial. All that applies to all people, persons, 
regardless of immigration status. That's a great point. Thank you, David. And I just want to conclude this break here. It says this, an ICE officer may not issue a detainer prior to establishing prior probable cause to believe that the subject is a removable alien. If they don't have statements from somebody and they haven't been caught up previously, that should reduce the amount of detainers held, issued by ICE. My guess is they're violating their own rules. Take a break now on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, abogado y jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Llámenos hoy si usted tiene problemas con inmigración, si ha sido arrestado, si se casó con un ciudadano o tiene una oferta de trabajo. Nosotros le podemos ayudar. También podemos explicar con qué puedes hacer para recibir los beneficios de inmigración. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, 404-816-8611, o visítenos por el internet a www.immigration.net. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Dave, we were kind of tearing apart this ICE uh, detainer policy, and it says this, As a matter of policy, an ICE officer may not establish probable cause of alienage and removability for purposes of a detainer issuance solely based on evidence of foreign birth and the absence of records in available databases. A foreign-born, no match. Um, this should result in a lessening of detainers. Uh, and the word needs to get out to the communities that people, if they have no prior contact with immigration and they exercise their right to remain silent and don't admit anything about their immigration status, there should be no ICE detainer put on them. None. Um, and I would tell you what happens, David, in these 287G counties, the officers interview them and kind of put pressure on them to tell me what's going on. Tell me, and they should immediately say, I want my lawyer. I'm not going to talk. And that should be the end of the conversation. Uh, but what happens is too many people talk about this and, and put themselves, they literally get themselves put into deportation proceedings. And that's what absolutely needs to happen uh, going forward. People need to actually exercise their right to remain silent. Now, David, one of the other things that's going to happen here, when an, when, an, when an agency fails to honor a detainer, ICE is now going to put that information on the Internet, something called the Enforce Module. Uh, this is a, this is a uh, Internet-based database which shows the people that are declining to recognize uh, ICE detainers. I don't know if you heard about this. kind of hit the news last week. They put the first issue up. And there were two counties in Georgia on this list, which shocked me uh, because it actually may be illegal in Georgia to do this under Georgia law. But they said DeKalb and Clayton 
weren't honoring detainers. And honestly, David, I've got clients picked up there all the time by ICE. And so I can't quite figure out how, how DeCab and, and Clayton got on that list when, in fact, ICE picks people up there all the time. It's, it's odd. Uh, no further comment from anybody about that. Uh, it, it may just go you to show that the local, that this database is a piece of garbage, <laughs> is, is what it may go to show. Uh, now, David, I, I wanted to get back to the point that you brought up a little bit earlier about these two young men uh, in uh, Virginia that are accused of raping a young woman in high school. Um, and I did not know they had arrested the, are they, they're not brothers, right? They're, they're just friends, right? And one of the boys' dads got picked up. So let's look at what was happening under Obama. If an unaccompanied minor, which I assume these two were, came into the United under States. Obama. Under Obama. Okay, under Obama. Uh, they came to the United States unaccompanied. And they had a relative in the United States, like a mom or dad. They would call the mom or dad. They'd run a background check on the mom or dad, even if they were undocumented, and then release them to the undocumented parent. Okay. Trump has changed that policy and said that if you want to claim your son or daughter, you need to come forward. We are, they're, they're going to put those parents in deportation proceedings as well. Uh, that's, of course, done to scare the parents into not letting their kids come up here. Uh, but, you know, I had, a, I had a mom come in my office yesterday. Uh, her son came up here without her knowing about it. You know, she didn't know literally until she got a call from ICE that he was here uh, and just had no clue that he had actually come up to the United States. Uh, and uh, this case, I mean, that, that case was, was tragically sad. Uh, but this case with these two young men accused of raping this woman that's not necessarily a failure of the system. We don't keep 14-year-old immigrants in jail unless there's a reason to do that. Um, uh, but if, they, if there is reason to keep them in jail, even Obama kept them in custody uh, pending a review by psychologists and verifying if they were safe in the community. So whether these kids just engaged in this activity recently, whether they were prone to this from what they had suffered previously, I don't know. Uh, but it should not call into question the idea that we need to literally keep every 14-year-old in jail who comes into the country looking for asylum. Uh, we just don't know the story on these two young men. What we do know statistically uh, is that immigrants are, commit crimes at a far lower rate than native-born U.S. citizens, uh, that communities with more immigrants are much safer than communities with more native-born people. Uh, and that the, the narrative that immigrants are coming in and committing crime is just simply not true. But here's the stunning piece that nobody's paying attention to yet. Since Trump came into office, immigrants report crime at a 30% less rate than they did before Trump was in office. So my partner was talking to the U.S. attorney here in Georgia at an event on Saturday night. And he told her that in the, the areas in which immigrants live in Georgia, that crime reporting is down 30%. Now, is that because crime is down 30%, which would be a stunning drop in numbers, by the way, or people simply aren't going to trust the police? And that's the problem that you have here, that we're intertwined with these detainers. If you feel that you will be detained by the police and thus by ICE, if you have any contact with the police, you're going to try to avoid contact with the police. And that even means uh, to not call the police if you are the victim of a crime. If criminals begin to realize that immigrants will not call the police, what happens? 
crime goes up against immigrants. I mean, this is it's not rocket science to figure this stuff out, which is another reason why local law enforcement authorities don't want to deal with the detainer issue because they feel it can, it creates community distrust and increases the crime rate because people are unwilling to report crimes. Uh, it, it, it is a it is a verifiable cycle. It is is proven by statistics. It's proven by the numbers. Uh, and while you may have just sessions threatening counties and cities to uh, not uh, to withhold federal funds if they don't quote enforce the detainers, which themselves one are voluntary, two may be may, may be. Uh, developed based upon it faulty information and three which themselves appear to be at least in five or six different courts unconstitutional subjecting the county to fines and four subject the county certainly to extra expense with no reimbursement maybe you want to walk away from that money maybe you say you know what it's not worth it i would rather have immigrants trust us the police department and forego a million dollars from the feds then I would have a likely increased crime rate and less trust in the community and have a million bucks for to buy another tank for my department. I think there's going to be a real fight here about this going forward. When you have zealots like Sessions out there uh, who now view themselves as the ultimate authority, this is the law and we must obey the law. You know, sometimes the law itself doesn't make sense. Now, what all these people have said, all, all these authorities have said, if you ICE go out and get a judicial warrant for these people, of course we'll honor it. So why isn't ICE doing that, David? It's easy. It requires work. It requires effort. Why not just go up to the low-hanging fruit? The easy stuff. Do the easy job. Why do the hard job? The hard job is getting a warrant. Hard job is going in front of a federal judge. Now, for the federal judges, wouldn't be very happy all day long hearing hundreds of warrant requests from ICE. But that's what the Constitution requires. You know, unless you want to change the Constitution, it's what they require. So at the end of the day, the Constitution, one, applies to everybody. It, it applies to protect people. I view the, the Constitution, David, as a protection against government. I don't know if you view it that way. That's how I view the, the Constitution. It's a protection against government as well as a limitation on government. Both, both are key to the Constitution's success. When we view the Constitution more as a weapon than as a shield, I think that's when we as citizens, we as people who benefit from the Constitution, need to begin to take notice and should begin to worry about how our government is working against us and not with us. So that's, that's kind of my spiel this week. Uh, this is our, our session on the ICE detainer and what it means and how it impacts people and the changes. And it, 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 it never ceases to amaze me, David, that every day that I go to work, there is some new immigration issue to deal with that changes the way we approach immigration law. And this is just another one of the many things in the last two months that have changed. And this is not going to get better before it gets worse. So if, as we begin to educate the community, educate lawyers, get to tell people about how to do this, we have to be shouting from the rooftops to our clients, to everybody, simply don't answer questions. It's probably in your best interest anyway. And people think, David, that they're helping themselves when they talk to the police. So the police pulls you over. So 
Do you know uh, why I pulled you over? How should you answer that question? No. I don't know, officer. But what do people usually do? Yes, officer, I, I was probably speeding. Yes, officer, I think I blew that red light. Well, you've just incriminated yourself. Your answer should be no. It shouldn't even be no, why do you think I did it? Just no. Your job is not to interrogate the officer. If he's going to issue a ticket, he will ask for your he will ask for your ID. If you've got ID, you give it to them. If you don't have ID, don't give him any. Do you have identification? I don't have any. Okay, what's your name? Now you are required to provide your name to a law enforcement authority. You're required to do that. At least as I read the case law. Uh, and uh, they can then ask you to step out of the, step out of the car, uh, sir. You have to step out. Of, you have to obey lawful commands of an officer. Okay? They can can they arrest you for not providing information? No, but they can arrest you for violating the law. So speeding, they can arrest you, and you could say, "I'm not going to talk. I would like a lawyer." And okay, your car will be hauled away. You'll pay a fine. You don't talk to anybody in the jail. You'll get out. You'll pay your you'll pay your bond, and you'll be done. And then you can go fight it in court. But if you make statements about your your supposed crime, if you make statements about your status, you are going to pay the price. So. Let's teach our clients, everybody. You have a right to remain silent. It's the key, the key right these days in the Trump administration. This is it for this week on America's Web Radio and the Immigration Hour. We'll be back next week, David, uh, a day before I leave for uh, Peru. I'll be going down to Peru. I'm going to actually be getting in a, a recognition from the Peruvian Congress, which is kind of shocking to me, but I, I think it's kind of cool at the same time. And then I'll be back and talk about that event when I get back in the United States in April. So I'll t- tell everybody till next week. This is Chuck Cook, your host of the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.